first peter chapter 3 we'll see another scripture here and verse all right eight here it says here uh, uh um finally be ye all of one mind now he's telling christians this having compassion one of another love as brethren love as brethren be pitiful and courteous in other words he says be courteous here be pitiful and courteous um, um, treat people with that they be courtesy uh, this is what he's talking about here because the entire civilization of man came out massively of what we call western civilization from this judeo-christian faith and and it's still and it's a culture it delivers to humanity a culture of respect uh, all right for the weakest not respect for the most powerful respect and i'll show this for the weaker members of society uh, respect for the elderly respect for weaker that's why you find cultures there or those civilizations they pay attention they got this from the scriptures it says be courteous be pitiful not rendering evil for evil now in this judicial system god instructs us that somebody did you evil it says don't render evil for evil in other words don't repay the person back with evil now you want to see god step into a situation all right as a judge to settle an issue remember all right it says this not or railing for railing in other words somebody is accusing you of something and saying something about you and saying maybe trying to to defame your character it says in your defense don't let it be railing for railing it's not saying you shouldn't defend yourself as in you shouldn't put the truth out that's not what he's saying he's not saying that that's not what he's saying but what he's saying is don't use railing for railing in other words and uh, this person uh, who is saying it maybe you know is is uh, somebody who let's say um, um uh, had been had been years ago you you know something about the person maybe they there were there was some discrepancies in an office where they worked or something there right then you bring it out and say who is this person talking nonsense right and all of this and you begin to rail against that person isn't it not this person who you know did this and whose wife did that and you know and you start that that's what he's talking about which is mudslinging there which means i will destroy the messenger so that the message has no value and he says it shouldn't be rendering evil for evil or railing for railing but on the contrawise blessing he says knowing that you are called thereunto you are called that you should inherit a blessing in other words he's saying people are saying things he said speak a blessing upon them uh, they come to meet you and say look god and uh, jesus speak out a blessing he says you can come in under the judicial system of god it says speak a blessing uh, take your hands off that particular issue uh, don't bring railings for railings there uh, evil for evil but speak a blessing but you are going to do more than that it says speak a blessing don't don't allow yourself to get bitter and you start saying terrible things to discredit that person it says speak a blessing for he that will love life 
and says, and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from speaking evil. You want to enjoy this life on the earth. You want to see many good days. He says, how you handle these controversies here. It says, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him ensure evil and do good. Let him speak peace, which means come to a point where there's goodwill still in your heart towards that person. That there's peace inside your heart towards that person. That it might be somebody that, you know, has been close to you and all of that, that speak about the good qualities that are in that person. Uh, um, acknowledge, all right, let there be goodwill inside your heart. Forgive that person. It says, for the eyes of the Lord, it tells us this, are over the righteous. Now, that word righteous, and here's one of the mistakes of men, modern day charismatic. Everything that says righteousness in the entire New Testament, we shook everything together and put it to one definition. Your ability to stand before God without any sense of guilt and without any sense of condemnation. Full stop. So everything we see there, we take it. So what we have done here is that when he says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, we believe that what he's just saying is, and the righteousness of God in Christ, the eyes of the Lord are over me. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So what we do is just hold on to that, and we don't, that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, this is not correct. When he said righteous there, he wasn't referring to that. He was referring to that sense of justice, equity, all right, righteous, which means the way and manner in which you treat people, that they eyes of the Lord are over people who are righteous in their dealings, who practice justice there. And his ears, he's open to their prayers. I will show you two things here. Number one, if we take that definition as the pure New Testament definition and only definition for righteousness, and that when he says here, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, he was referring to that, and the ears open to their prayers, then James chapter 5 will have to accept also that when he says that the prayer, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man maketh much power available, that he was talking about the righteousness that we have in Christ being blood washed and bought. But that's not the case, for he was referring directly to Elijah. He was a man of like passion. He prayed, and it didn't rain for three years. He prayed, and then it rained again. And he says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, that was pre-Christ era. So he could not have been the righteousness of God in Christ. As we say it today, he was talking about conduct. It was talking about the way. That's why he says, but his face is against them that do evil. He was talking about what you do, that you do evil. That's what he was referring to. That's why he goes up to show this, that he was talking about prayer and the way we treat people. If we go right up here, he started in verse 7 by saying, likewise. So let's put it in context here. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, that's the wife, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, this is a Christian. And the way you treat your wife can hinder your prayers. Now, what's he saying here? The wife is the weaker vessel. Weaker there is not saying she's intellectually inferior. 
She's not saying that in the realm of the spirit she's inferior. He's saying physically speaking that you are stronger and that you shouldn't use that physical strength to oppress her. This is what he's saying. That you shouldn't use it but to support her. Which means to help her carry things that are heavier than what her strength. By doing that, you are sending a righteous signal unto God. That when I also need somebody to help me, Jesus says, I will come in and help you. But he says, if you use this to oppress her, being a weaker vessel. So he could really be talking about domestic violence. And that you are, there's domestic violence. He says, it's going to hinder your prayers. And your own progress on the earth. Because he that is greater and stronger than you will not use his own strength because you that you are stronger than somebody else, you've used your strength to oppress that particular person. And so it's in the context that he now says, finally, he was talking about praying. And what can hinder prayer in the way and manner in which we treat one another. So he says this, finally be of one mind, compassion, love as brethren. Not rendering evil or railings for railings. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears open to their prayers. Who is he that will harm you if you are followers of them which are followers of that which is good? Which means in a situation, you are not going to get harmed or hurt. The only way you open the door for any demonic force to hurt you in that situation. Yes, they lied on you. They did this. They got you out of the office. But the only way they can permanently damage your life is if you open up yourself and you start going into railings, rendering evil for evil, enter into unforgiveness. You know the work you put into the place. God sees the labor you have put into the place. You know the efforts that you put into that place. Don't destroy. God is going to come and I'm going to show this and judge that. But he wants to see that you have surrendered that to his own hands. Look at 1 Peter chapter, chapter, chapter 2 here uh, the, the, and verse 22. It says from verse 21, For even hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not. He didn't start threatening the people. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I'm saying that God is alive to judge situations on the earth. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, when he says the woman widow went to the unjust judge, a widow which means she was powerless as far as society was concerned. And she said, avenge me, avenge me of my adversary who is oppressing me. Jesus said, he was talking about the judicial aspect. Somebody who is going through oppression. Somebody who has been cheated. I said this last week, you forgive. But God says, vengeance is mine. He's saying that I will repay, I will come and repay you. I'm going to come in as a judge and settle that issue. You come up to me and call on me as your judge. And I will step into that place and settle that thing. And so it says they committed themselves to him that judged righteously there. So take the matter to God and he will come in and judge 
that issue righteously. He will step in and settle that particular controversy. You watch it. What others meant for evil, God will so turn that situation around. As you step out and walk, that's why Jesus said, I will avenge them speedily. But when I come into there, shall I find faith? Will I find people? The faith he's talking about is not I confess, I do it. The faith he's talking about is, I put my trust in you, O God, for the fulfillment of this. And I will act in obedience to what you have said here. For my life, I've committed it into your hands. I will not do railings for railings. I will not do evil for evil. I will bless. I will do good. And I will leave it in your hands to judge. Said this before, forgiveness does not heal you. But it opens the door for God to heal you. What heals you of that situation is when God comes and settles that controversy. The wholeness and completeness it will give to you. You can't tell us that, well, you know, I'm a Christian here, and there's, there's judgment. And that's why we must, and I'll close by showing something. Once you have done something wrong on the earth to anybody, the Bible says if you will judge yourself, you will not be judged. And we'll see this. Now, God judges you not to condemn you. There's a difference, but to correct you. And if you self-correct and look at it and say, what I did here was wrong, and you apologize, you approach the person, you talk to... Now, let me tell you this. You do that two, three times, that character trait gets out of your system. It, you get refined. You get developed as a person. But you treat people anyhow, when you walk away from it, and you think that, well, you know, I'm going to get away, and none of them, I'm not the blood, then you, that thing starts multiplying on the inside of you. Look at Jude and verse 9. It's only one chapter there. It tells us, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring a railing accusation, which means when Michael was even fighting with the devil, he did not bring a railing accusation and say, you just used that you rebelled, and I accuse him, a railing accusation against him. But what did he say? He said, the Lord rebuked thee. He went to God and said, God rebuke In other words, somebody does certain things and all of that, and he feels he's smart as a Christian, and runs away and say, go to God. I release this person. I forgive this person. But you judge this matter. In God's judgment, he will recompense you heavily. Multiple forms of what that person felt they had taken. And then he will settle it with that person the way he has chosen to bring about a correction in the character of that person. Look at it here again, as I bring this to a close. Um, in, in the book of, of James, it tells us, and chapter, chapter 5, it's talking about people who have treated their laborers and their staff wrongly. It talks about this. It says, verse 4, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which you have kept by fraud. You know, I said that do not defraud anybody in any matter, for the Lord is an avenger of all such. God is a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. It says this, 
by fraud, crieth, and the cry of them who have reaped have entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You know what Lord of Sabaoth means? The word Sabaoth is an old name for God in the Old Testament. Is the God of the the God of the armies of Israel, the God of the armies of heaven. He will come and fight. Walk in a place, you 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 cheat people, you deprive them. They go to God in prayer. They might not be able to get justice. And you leave that as a Christian from the court. The court and you say, listen, this, and go to God in prayer. And say, I release, like how Jacob did. He wasn't offended in Laban. But he said, God, you are a God of justice. You will judge this thing he's doing. God rebuked. When God rebukes, he takes things off your lap and gives it to other people. When God rebukes, it is a serious thing. The, the natural growth, uh, that's, why, that's why it's a serious thing. That's why it says agree with your adversary before he takes it to God in prayer. Go there. And that's what God wants us to have a sense of responsibility in our dealings with ourselves. God wants us to have a sense of responsibility in our dealings with ourselves. And he says, look, you go up to him there in prayer. And God comes through and says, I will judge this. So folks, in our dealings one with another, we need to be cautious and very mindful. This is not condemnation, this is judgment. And therefore, you as a person, you have to have that sense of responsibility. Deal with people with equity in fairness. If anything happened and you said, we'll be able to pay you, you couldn't pay, call the I'm sorry about it, I can't, can we restructure, can we um, do things properly? Don't take people for granted. Don't abuse people. Because people raised this up to God in prayer. Nebuchadnezzar, when his kingdom was going to collapse, he said, where is this coming from? Daniel told him, this is by the decree of watchers and the words of the Holy One. People are calling on the God of heaven. He is a judge. Let me close here by saying this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. It says, for this cause from verse 30, many are weak, sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we will judge ourselves, this was asking us, judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Now, this is not condemnation. There is judgment. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So if you judge yourself, you will not be judged by God. But if you don't do that, then people now cry. Now the mistake people make is they get angry, they go into railings, bitterness, they do this, they try accuse and all of that. And so they miss out on the judicial system of God. But if they say, God, I've been wounded. I forgive the person, but I leave this matter in your hands to heal me by your judgment. You have to step into the affairs here and judge. Now, if that person, in callousness and all of that, God comes in with his judgment. 
So it is important that we keep justice. I mean, I said this last week, I'll say it again. A billionaire, Peter Daniels, Christian man, only one of three families that prints their currency backed by gold. One time he was speaking and he said his son used to bring a young lady to the house and she would come and go, he'd come and go. And the whole family liked her. One time they didn't see her again. And he felt his son may have broken the relationship for whatever reasons. He said, go and meet that lady and apologize to her. We don't want anything affecting the wealth of this family. Bring her and I will apologize also. Judge yourself that you do not get judged. And if people just stop and understand that you have a God who is a judge, who will fight for you, who will defend you. No bitterness, no railings, no counter accusations, no spoiling of anybody, but take the matter to God in prayer. God will show himself alive with, in, with an infallible proof in your situation. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice. May your grace rest upon us all to obey you in faith when we are confronted with situations like this and we have controversies in our personal space. That we have the grace to walk in forgiveness and to open up our lives to you as the judge of all things, to do your work in our midst. We receive this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed by that, right? Um, just one more thing, a part of this service. Um, uh, um, we have an announcement. We'll be starting a 60-day plan from um, Monday. That's not this Monday. Uh, the one after the next, after this um, tomorrow. Okay, that's upper Monday there. 60-day plan. You can join us on MixLR 6 a.m. and at 10 p.m. in the evening where we'll be planting powerful seeds, speaking forth God's word into our lives. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. Welcome this morning to the teaching session of this service. Um, it's always a great pleasure and uh, with a heart of gratitude, uh, we acknowledge that you have allowed us into your private space to minister God's word unto you. We thank you for this honor you have bestowed upon us and we will go straight into the word of God. But first of all, we will have a time 
of declaration of faith to prepare ourselves to receive the message. All right, today I want to speak on something that has been in my heart for a couple of years now, and I'm still meditating on this particular subject and developing it uh, because the revelation of God is progressive. And this has to do with the judicial system of God upon the earth. Let me repeat that, the judicial system of God upon the earth. Uh, God has his judicial system, and this system is practical, and this system is very effective. Uh, but to a very large extent, we do not uh, understand the system and make ourselves, um, put ourselves in a position where we can benefit. In fact, one of the great acts of faith on this earth is to put our trust in God to act over a situation as judge. Uh, the whole democratic experience that we have today, uh, which we call the three arms of government, are directly taken out of scripture. Uh, because it calls God, the scripture says, he is our judge, he is our lawgiver, and he is our king. This represents the three arms of government that was lifted out of the scriptures. There's the judiciary where God is our judge. There's the legislative arm, which is he is our lawgiver. And then there is the exec executive arm of governance, which is our king. And many times we want God to execute, many times we understand and study the scriptures to understand the laws of God, but we neglect to a very large extent the judicial aspects of God in terms of our interaction one with another and how God settles issues between his people. And if we respond to him in the way and manner in which we ought to, we'll see very powerful things happen within our lives. Now, start from Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, and here we have God speaking about Abraham. And he tells us that Abraham, God's absolute confidence in Abraham as a person that was going to enter into very powerful things in his life. And he tells us that, he says in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 18, now, what had happened was that God had decided that he was going to judge the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, what he did was to uh, tell, all right, and to say uh, to the angels that it's important that I hold a discussion with Abraham before this is done. I don't want Abraham hearing about this. I don't want him seeing this. And he has his nephew inside of this place. And then I went to judge without consulting or having a proper discussion with him. And what he says in verse 18 here, he says, Seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that he is going to become a great and mighty nation? Now you consider this. Let's say that an adult who is quite successful on the earth has about 10, 5-year-olds who are playing around. And then suddenly he says, You know, I'm going to get I'm going to hold a discussion with this five-year-old boy, all right? And I say, why is that? So he says, I've noticed something about him. He's going to be a great person. He's going to be a great nation. He's going to be, all right, create a global entity in which all families on this earth are going to be blessed through this particular individual. 
And then you ask them, what did you see in him is the first thing. What did you notice? What's the character trait that you found in him that made you with all certainty say this and condescend from your, all right, a powerful state to come and, 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 and hold a conversation with him. And so God gave us the reason why he had so much confidence in Abraham. Well, you could say that God had said it was going to be a great nation and he had promised him that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But it was a little bit more than that because it took beyond just God saying something, but a particular character trait in Abraham. And this is what he said about Abraham. He says, for I know him, there's a reason, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they should keep the way of the Lord to do both justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken concerning him. He said, yes, I've spoken things concerning him, but these are the two things that are in operation in Abraham's life. And by these, I will be able to, that I may bring upon him those things that I have said. Judge, justice and judgment. The word justice there means equity in his dealings with people. A sense of justice, fairness in his dealings, uh, not wanting to defraud any person. There was no trace in him to exploit or to have any form of oppressive tendency in Abraham. And justice deals with the manner and way in which we relate one with another. He says in the way in which he relates with other people. And then judgment deals with decision making. In other words, when he's confronted with things, he will understand that there is a way that might seem right unto me. But I will wait for the counsel of God in order, all right, to exercise judgment in this thing properly, not by the sight of my eyes or the hearing of my ears, but by another method, uh, God will communicate unto me and I will subject every decision that I'm going to make to the approval of God. And God said, look, there's two things. In his dealings with people, fairness, I've seen this, and not only will he do it, he will also teach his children and teach his entire household this particular principle. And this is why the greatness will start with him. But this greatness will continue into the next generation and the generation after that, that every single person that had direct contact with Abraham there, this knowledge will be transferred onto them and they will live according to this. Now, justice and judgment are things that are uppermost in the mind of God. The Bible tells us that the throne of God is established upon justice and judgment in Psalm 89 and verse 4. It says his throne is established upon justice, 89 and verse 14, and judgment. When he says it's established, it's built, it is founded. God himself says, my throne, my throne, right? That eternal throne, the reason why uh, that authority is there, that governmental power comes out of me, is because it's founded upon this principle of justice and judgment. In other words, God says, if I ever take an action that is unjust and do something 
all right, in an unfair way or a biased way, the throne that I'm sitting on collapses. The entire infrastructure of my government resides or rests upon justice there and on judgment. So these are things that are uppermost in the heart and in the mind of God. And it's important that Christians today on this earth, in our dealings one with another, that we understand and practice justice and we practice judgment. And this is what I want to show today, uh, that we practice this. As we deal one with another, that there is justice and there is judgment in our dealings. In fact, the nation of Israel, if you look at it, the reason why God went with the exercise of power to deliver them was because of oppression. In other words, God resents oppression, that, that people use their might, power, or wealth uh, to have undue advantage over other people and to keep them down and to keep them in bondage is something that God recalls at. And so he went down, all right, in order to deliver the nation of Israel from all forms of oppression. We're going to look at that and read this here today. And so we see in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 9, God also now told them, he said, look, folks, I brought you out because of the oppression that I saw. He said, now as you go about and conduct your own affairs, he said, look, I want to make something very clear to you. It is important that anytime anybody comes into your space, a stranger comes in, you are dealing with people, don't forget that you are oppressed in the land of Egypt. So don't bring back that environment into what you're doing. Make sure even the stranger is not oppressed. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 9 here. It says, thou shall not, from verse 6, Rest the judgment of the poor in his cause. Keep thee far from a false matter. Uh, these were instructions that God gave to them on how all right, their civilization, how it was supposed to be built, the way and manner in which they were to interact one with another. He said, keep thee from a false matter, and the innocent and the righteous slay not. He said, for I will not justify the wicked. And then he went on and said, and thou shalt take no gift. Now, he even told them this. He said, you are to take no gift. In other words, you are in a position of authority where you, where you make decisions of this nature. He said, you will take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. So he's saying a wise person, a person who is even inherently wise, once he begins to take gifts, he will act contrary to what he knows to be true because the gifts will cause him to have a soft spot and they will interfere with his judgment. He says, and perverted the words of the righteous. He will change what he is supposed to say because of the gifts that he is receiving. That's why it's important that if you are operating in any position of leadership, 
and a matter involves people if you know that you have had transactions with the people and you have been a beneficiary in terms of the people giving you gifts and all of that it's important you do full disclosure and you therefore all right delegate uh, that your authority in that situation to somebody else who has not been a direct beneficiary of it because if you found out later on that you have there's been some gifts that have transferred between you and the individual all right in question then they are right to say that your sense of judgment will clearly be impaired god did not talk about a person here who wasn't wise he says here for the gift blindeth the wise and it perverted the words of the righteous then he went on and said and thou shall not oppress a stranger he says this you should not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger saying you were strangers in the land of egypt so god went out and told them you know the heart of a stranger uh, you will not in any way oppress a stranger the reason is you have experienced what it is to be a stranger in a land and to come under an oppressive force based on that. And this is why sometimes God allows us, his own people, particularly if you are going into positions of leadership and he knows that you are going to enter into places of leadership, he deliberately allows you to go through certain things uh, and those things uh, might be hurtful and painful, but he wants you to have the first-hand experience of people who are at the lower end of the social ladder. So that when you are making a decision, you will understand and there will be what is called empathy. You will have empathy for people because of what you have experienced. It was written by some great evangelical that the reason why God, Jesus allowed Peter to have denied him thrice, even when he was using, was for Peter himself to understand, uh, so that there will be empathy as he rose up into a place of leadership within the church. He will have empathy for people, and that if people make mistakes, he will understand it. And that's why he says, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren, strengthen them. I remembered something happened to me growing up as a Christian. I was a young believer. This was in the late 80s, and I just happened to start attending this particular church um, somewhere in the, in, in the city of Lagos, all right? This many, very many years ago, all right? And it was just momentarily. And what happened was I had an experience, and that experience, I made a vow unto God when I had that experience. What happened was uh, we used to, I mean, attend with a group of friends, this particular church here. And there was a massive blowout of something. The pastor in church had a, a disagreement on, on certain things. And so he was preaching about those things and he began to threaten and all kinds of things. Well, it was going on and on. But on this set day, and these friends of mine had left the church, but I still used to go, you know, because I used to get blessed. And I understood some things about considered authority. But to cut long story short, one of these days I sat down in the service and and this man started preaching and you know he made eye contact with me and moved into a particular section and took this friend of mine a particular one there and labeled him as a particular type of person 
accused him on the pulpit of doing something that he had never done or he didn't do or it was just based on hearsay and you know he went at it it had nothing to do with the message he just went at it called his name and and really did that so at the end of the service i mean i was this was a man i respected so much i was just dumbfounded watching him and at the end of the service he signaled and beckoned unto me so i followed him and he took me into a private space all right in that particular place just me and him and said listen I saw that you were in at the particular service before I did what I did. I did not put a knife into your friends behind their back because I saw you. So I knew you were going to tell them. So I stabbed them right in their chest. And this was a pastor telling me this. Stab them in their chest so that they will know, all right, this. And I just um, took it and went back. I told the particular friend of mine and he broke down in tears. He was, and I vowed that day. I said, if I ever get, God, if you ever make me a pastor of people, if you ever make me a pastor of people, no matter what happens, I will not come to the pulpit and come and use it, all right, no matter what happens until date. If you have a disagreement with me in church, you will never hear me preach about it. I will not come out because I, I it's not because, I, it's just because I've experienced it. I, I understand, and this is what God was saying about empathy there, so that when you grow up and get into positions of leadership, you will, you will have empathy. That's why he allows you to go through certain things. So, uh, this is to show that God is a God of justice and a God of judgment. Now, the issue here I'm getting to is that in our modern charismatic movement, and uh, because of, I mean, it was very strong in the, in, the, in, 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 in the scriptures there, in the Old Testament, about justice there. People understood that God was a God of justice. Even David, that understood the mercy of God, knew that he was talking to somebody who had to show him mercy in the context of his justice. That it wasn't that God was going to be unjust and be partial, all right, and hypocritical in, in doing certain things. And so they appreciated and understood that. Now, but in this modern uh, charismatic movement, we've almost come to a place where, because of what we'll call our revelation on righteousness, our revelation on the grace of God, uh, we kind of have relegated to the background uh, God as a God of justice. And, and in saying that there is no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus, which is true. I'll explain this here, right? Uh, no condemnation to us in Christ Jesus where the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus has died for us and all of that. It can begin to develop some measure of callousness in the hearts of people. In other words, the way and manner in which I treat people there. Uh, won't really count for anything because uh, he, Jesus has been wounded for my transgressions and bruised, all right, for my iniquities. We even say that even past future sins are already forgiven. So whatever I do is already under the blood of Jesus Christ. And nobody can bring me under any sense of condemnation. So we even harden our hearts towards any sense of guilt that we might feel inside us that is not right. We are under the blood of Jesus and then we go on. And that can begin to develop on the inside what is called the hardness of the heart there. Uh, and, and so people feel that, you know, I can do things. And if you put that theology out, then it will be one that will lack empathy. 
all right, except you put it in the full context of what the New Testament is. It's one that will lack empathy, where people will feel that no matter what I do, all right, I can get away with it because I am under the blood of Jesus and nobody should lay anything to my charge, neither should there be any sense of condemnation, all right, that you can bring onto me. So I want to look at certain things here. Okay, so we emphasize this, but let's look at the New Testament and look at certain scriptures. If we look at Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 here, uh, and look at a few things here, we will see that this is not really the case in the New Testament. I'm going somewhere with this. In the New Testament here, that God remains a God of justice. In First Thessalonians, all right, and chapter 4 and verse 6. He says this, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. This is Paul writing in the New Testament. And he was writing to Christians. And he said that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Let me repeat this. Any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified unto you that God said he's the avenger that let none of you and you see it's this attitude that we have that you will hear of all kinds of things this attitude here that we believe that has developed this callousness inside the heart that people don't even have empathy all right they can treat people in certain ways and and they just feel this it's almost like there's no fear again inside the hearts of people uh, Paul teaching, he said, we have warned you ahead of time. We have testified, we've brought examples to you uh, to let you know that you shouldn't defraud any person on any matter whatsoever that God in heaven is the avenger of such. Now, there's a process in God's judicial system. And, and today, because people don't understand God's judicial system, even Christians are in a rush. If there's a disagreement in church, people rush to the law. When Paul said, look, leave the law alone, all right? Because God has his own judicial system here, and he will settle that particular issue. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.